This is Kick-Ass News. I'm Ben Mathis. Today's podcast is sponsored by Nadex. Folks, you know everyone's different. We have different fashion styles. We like different types of food. We have different dreams in life. And that applies to investing as well, because we all have different financial goals and different tolerances for risk. So what if you could choose your maximum risk and reward up front? That way, you could try day trading the markets without worrying about the risk. Well, luckily, you can with binary options on Nadex. Trade global stock indexes, commodities, forex, even economic numbers, all from one account and always with limited risk. See why over 100,000 members choose Nadex. Find out more at Nadex.com. Trading on Nadex involves risk and may not be appropriate for all investors. We're also sponsored by AppRiver. If you own a business, no matter how big or small, Email hackers and scammers are coming after you. AppRiver can make your company a much harder target. They have affordable services like spam and virus filtering, email encryption, and web threat protection to keep you safe. They also back their services with live 24-7 U.S.-based support at no additional charge. Try AppRiver services free for 30 days by visiting appriver.com kick. That's app, A-P-P, river, dot com, slash, kick. And now, enjoy the podcast. I'm Ben Mathis. Welcome to Kick-Ass News. Folks, you know, when I was a kid, for a good chunk of my childhood, my greatest ambition in the world was to be a magician. Putting on shows at school or in the backyard at home and bugging my folks to buy me new illusions because, as Penn Gillette of Penn & Teller once said, Magic is the only entertainment where a performer can simply buy an act. And while that's certainly true of a lot of stage magic, the most difficult and impressive tricks don't cost more than three bucks. Because every magician knows that nothing requires more talent and skill than sleight of hand performed with an ordinary pack of playing cards. Although magicians have created and presented myriad of illusions with cards over the past two centuries, most of these are generally considered to be built upon 100 or so basic techniques with names like the Flesh Grip Pass, the Zingon Bottom, and the Hindu Shuffle. Moves perfected by the very best only after hundreds of thousands of hours of practice. No one knows that better than the greatest card magician in the world, Richard Turner although he prefers the term card mechanic. He's the subject of a new documentary feature called Delt, and today he joins me on the podcast to talk about his art honed over countless hours of practice, so much so that he's virtually never seen without a deck in his hands, and today he'll fess up to shuffling cards in the movies, during church, and even while making love to his wife. Now that's dedication to your art. He'll reveal why he doesn't like to be called a magician or an illusionist. He'll discuss some of the less-than-ethical origins of card trickery and talk about the man who mentored him, Professor Di Vernon. Then, in my own surprise reveal after the break, I will tell you something about Richard Turner that will completely blow your mind and leave you wondering how the hell he possibly does what he does. Coming up with the truly astounding Richard Turner in just a moment.
Today I'm talking with Richard Turner, who is arguably the greatest card manipulator in the world. He is the subject of a new documentary called Delt, which opens in New York Friday, October 20th, and then in L.A. on the 27th, followed by 20 more cities. It's also available on demand and on iTunes starting October 20th as well. Richard, thanks for joining me. I'm happy to be here, Ben. I'm a big magic fan, but you don't call yourself a magician or an illusionist. You refer to yourself as a card mechanic. What is that? Well, the term mechanic is somebody who can fix something. And the term card mechanic goes back many years before the invention of the automobile. People usually associate it with a a car mechanic. They fix a car. Mm -hmm. A card mechanic fixes a card game. And the (laughs) techniques for the card table are many, many times more difficult to develop than the techniques used by a magician to perform card magic. And they're Two different purposes. The one is for entertainment. Mm -hmm. And originally, the techniques for the card table were for the purposes of stealing money. Mm -hmm. And magicians, they can misdirect and so on. At a card table, you cannot use misdirection. And if your technique breaks the flow of the game in any way, you know, heat can come on you. And depending on where you're from, like where I'm from Texas, you know, they pull out guns and they can hurt you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's interesting that you say that you don't use misdirection because usually when I'm watching a close-up magician, the biggest tell is when there's some random distraction or some non sequitur, they do something <laughs> yeah. that seems completely superfluous or unnatural. Uh-huh. When I watch you in this film... I honestly cannot pinpoint the moment where you're putting one over on me. Everything seems so fluid and natural. And that's the whole difference between a mechanic and a magician is it has to follow the natural, as you say, flow of the game. Mm-hmm. You can't have break, you can't break rhythm. You can't, uh, like I said, use unnatural gestures or moves to try to distract or cover uh, your action. So, you know, it's, it's just a different thing. And, and uh, they both are magical. Magicians, mm-hmm. you know, what they do is magic for the purposes of entertainment. And what I do is not magic, but like I said, it's magical because people go, how the heck did he do that? <laughs> to give you a for instance, because people want mm-hmm. a description. Like, you can take this deck of cards. You can shuffle them up. You can say, I want to play seven card stud. You can tell me how many players you want. Say you want five players. You can tell me which position you want to sit in and that hand to be the winner. So you want five players, third position, shuffle the cards, hand them to me, and I'll deal it out. And sometimes I'll even push the envelope and I'll tell you, what do you want in your hand? You want straight? You want a flush? You want a full house? (laughs) You want four of a kind? And then I'll even, in my show, I'll push the envelope even further and I'll let you at any time you want Stop or anybody in the audience, stop uh-huh. and take the cards out of my hand, shuffle them some more, and keep cards and just hand me any random part of the deck back. And then when it's all said and done, you'll see uh, the fact that <laughs> I have whatever you asked for, where you wanted it in the, in the, ha- in the game, in the way you wanted it. So. Well, you're never seen without a pack of cards, and you have a deck right now in your hands. As you're sitting here just playing with these cards, or not even playing, you're practicing. No, I'm practicing moves. I'm never playing with random Do you know exactly what card is where in the deck, or is it more a matter of you can put whatever card you want wherever you want in the deck? Is the, it card counting? What no. <laughs> the, the, the card counting doesn't even come into play, but the mm-hmm. second thing you said is the most accurate. I can take and... Put any card wherever you want it or deal Uh whatever card I want or you want from whatever position in the deck to whatever position I want it to come out at or you want it to come out at. So it's more – that's probably the more (laughs) accurate term. And a card counter 
is really the people that are playing the numbers, mm-hmm. the statistics of the game. Mm-hmm. I was on a show, um, I'm sure you're familiar with MIT. They're, yeah. they're well known for their the card Jack counting, team, the blackjack yeah. team. And I was their keynote speaker this year, <laughs> earlier this year. And uh, it was really fun because I had the poker club, the blackjack club, and and you can actually watch that one online. Richard Turner performs live at MIT, something like that. <laughs> but that was really fun. And uh, but the point is, you know, they've had their clubs like uh, um, uh, Mickey uh, uh, Rosa. You know, he's the one. He was a professor there, and mm-hmm. he took put this team together, and they went into the casinos and they were whipping them until they, you know, got caught. And then of course they made the movie about it called Twenty One and so on. And um, I was on a show where one of these world-renowned card counters was going to demonstrate how he could come out ahead. Mm-hmm. Beat the house basically. What he didn't know is they brought me in as the dealer for that segment. Oh, <laughs> I was approached behind the scene and say, "Hey, we have this card counter coming on. He's, he he claims this and that. And would you mind coming on the show and being the dealer for the show? We're not going to tell him. We filmed for two hours and he never won one hand really? during that whole time. He got so pissed and he was he was at one time he was grabbing the deck out of my hands and shuffling. He says, "Now deal." And of course, I knew what he did. He just sat there very amateurishly, ran himself up. A, a winning hand, so I just reversed it, dealt it to myself. And he goes, I should have had that. And he stopped in mid-sentence because he realized he was on live television getting ready to admit that he just cheated when that was my job. <laughs> I, I, I'm so dumbfounded. I mean, for someone to name a card and you be able to give it to him, don't you somehow have to know where all of those cards that could come up are in that no, deck? No, and I probably, maybe I and took it to the I know, magician I said, can't give card secrets, after. but... Yeah, and of course, uh, yeah, that's true too. Um, but uh, I, when I'm doing my show, I'm letting the other people shuffle the cards. So it's mm-hmm. not like the deck is in a particular memorized order and I'm working from that position. I'm working totally random because you are shuffling, you are cutting, you are cho- choosing all the circumstances, and then I'm working within that parameter that you set for me and that is in their very 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 tight conditions i call it swinging without a net because <laughs> sometimes i don't hit and i yeah but for the most part 90 95 percent of the time i will hit and mm-hmm. uh you know come out with what i wanted where you wanted under the conditions that you set forth yeah, it's not a controlled environment. I mean, you, your your audience is right up on you. It's closer, closer than I am to you right now. When I was doing it with a Teller, uh, you know, I was on Penn and Teller show, oh, yeah. which you mentioned, and uh, and uh, Teller just he loves sleight of hand. You know, he's yeah. the magician. Or Penn is the originally was a juggler. And I, I said, tell her, you want me to show you how I can find cards? Yes, Richard, show me. <laughs> and and Penn describes this. He says. Teller's like four inches, three inches from Richard's hands, and he's watching, and and Richard's showing him what he's doing, and Teller says, I'm not seeing anything. All you're doing is driving me crazy. I, it's even more confusing. And so it, it was really fun. So there, another, my point is that even when you're right bird-dogging every move you know, within inches of yeah. my hand, they, they still uh, couldn't catch it. So yeah. that made it fun. <laughs> Is it a case of you're doing one move that you're really, really good at, or is it a combination of moves? I'm doing a a combination of many moves. (laughs) The sequence that I did on Penn and Teller, just the fooling part, I had 13 different moves and controls that I had to execute to have that one effect take place. And each one of those moves uh, took many, many hours, thousands of hours, some of them, you know, tens of thousands of hours to accomplish. 
And uh, so it, it's a series of controls, moves, figure, movement, uh, you know, knowing how far down the card is, being able to get mm-hmm. it out, put it where I want it, mm-hmm. maneuver it to where I want it. Depending on what I'm doing, I'm either shuffling them back in exactly where you want or I'm dealing them out from wherever they happen to be to where I want. And uh, each of those moves you know, is you know, difficult and they also uh, – I, I will use a, a many times a, a series of moves to accomplish one thing. But, again, in a card game, you can't be changing your methods. Whatever mm-hmm. you're using in a game, you have to start and end with that. You can't have one method for because you're going to do this business here and then have all of a sudden change your method because you're going to do some other method uh, for something else. You can't do that in a card game. You can do mm-hmm. that in a, sh- in a show because the public doesn't know the difference, but you can't do that in a card game. Now, have you ever tried to use your talents to win at a card game or to win <laughs> money? Not oh, for entertainment purposes. Oh, I've I've made many many dollars uh, only because it's like, you know, I'm I've, I've been in the martial arts for many years, uh-huh. and it's like you spend all those years training how to hit, how to kick, and you just you know it's one thing to be able to hit and kick a bag, but it's another thing to chase a moving target that's hitting back, yeah. and be able to get in there. So <laughs> you know, I spent all these years with the cards, and you just want to see how it works and how and so uh the answer obviously is yes and of course i actually started off that way because growing up really uh yeah we were a card playing family we were very very poor we had chessboard monopoly checkerboard and cards and that was it and so we played a lot of cards i was the oldest and as the oldest the oldest couldn't lose so i started devising ways to make sure i didn't and then my sister would tell her girlfriends my brother's so good he never loses which then i started getting a reputation as a you know youngster and then all through high school and and it just kept kept perpetuating itself which then encouraged me to come up with newer and better methods and it Mm-hmm. And it just went until I met uh, my the guy who I studied with for 17 years, a guy named Professor Di Vernon, you know, back in '75, and that was fantastic. Yeah, tell us about Di Vernon. He features heavily in the documentary. Well, he was born in 1894. He lived to be over 98 years old. He was uh, the man who fooled Houdini. That took place, I think, it was 1919. Yeah. And, yeah, he did a card trick that yes. Houdini, couldn't how many times it. did he do it and Houdini couldn't figure it out? Well, he, I think he did it five times and Houdini's boast was if he, he saw something two or three times, he would be able to figure it out. And <laughs> finally his wife says, admit it, Harry, he fooled you. And uh, so um, uh, he, he was, he's been the teacher of all the great magicians from Jay, uh, from uh, Jay Marshall mm-hmm. to, uh, uh, Doug Henning in the wow. 70s, oh, yeah. you know, all the way up the line, you know, and he really? just happened to, as he put it, outlive them all. <laughs> and uh, and I, he took a liking to me. And so I became the recipient of his gambling work because there's a, there's a, again, there's a, a circle of, there's a circle. There's the the, cl- the close-up magicians and the card magicians mm-hmm. and the, the gambling work. And Vernon would never tip the gambling work. That's the most closely guarded of all uh, forms of sleight of hand, mm-hmm. if you would. You know, the gambling work is the stuff that that is still, even to this day, not out in 10,000 places on the Internet that you can find out how this particular trick was done or that particular trick was done. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it was partly because the purposes were for, uh, as my old friend Tony Georgie would say, get the money. In other words, steal the money, take yeah. the money, uh, cheat them out of the money. <laughs> 
And, uh, and so though that, move, those, that information was very closely held. And Vernon would never show you stuff beyond your level. In other oh, really? words, say you did a double lift. Huh. You know, he, you'd show him a double lift. Uh, it's a magic move where you turn over two cards, pretending you're turning over one card. You'll put that, you turn it back over, put that one in the middle of the deck, and pretend that it came to the top. Uh, and what Vernon would do is then show you a, a dozen more ways, a dozen better ways of doing what you just showed him. But then if you said, oh, Professor, would you show me your second deal? And if you couldn't do that, he wouldn't show you. He only showed you up to your <laughs> level of expertise. He would not tip above that, and especially when it came to the ga- the gambling work. and. Like I said, uh, part, partly it was because I was obsessive, you know. I, I, literally, I literally practiced. Average practice day was for me was 14 hours. Wow. But a 10-hour day, that's when I had I, – I, I was having to do some training for some fight or something. So I spent a little more time in the gym on that particular day. Uh-huh. But uh, there would be days I'd practice 20 hours a day. And I, wow. may, I sustained that. That's dedication. Yeah, seven days a week for 26 years straight, a minimum of 14 hours, average of 14 hours a day. And now I put in only three to 10 hours a day. Yeah. I think you say in the documentary that when you first met him, he gave you a trick and said, when you perfect that, come back to me. And you worked and worked on it until oh, you had it down, right? Yeah, oh, he, 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 what Vernon did is he, tr- he tricked me. <laughs> and he would say, now, Richard, Richard, watch this, you know, put your fingers out. The way you want to do this is like this. And he described the moves to me, not in the way that he could do them or the way that anyone else could do them, but in the way that he wished they could be done. And so he would describe to me in that manner. And because I believed that he could do it, I thought, well, then I should be able to do it. And so I would spend thousands of hours working on these methods. And I'd go back to him. And he goes, Richard, that's it. And that's that. And, and, it, and it, it just got him all excited. And because I was doing things that he didn't think were possible, then he started giving me more and more challenges. And at the, like I said, at the time, I didn't know he was challenging me. It was only mm-hmm. later on that he said, I made them up. I just wanted to see what you'd come up with. You said that what you do as a card mechanic is to control the outcome of the game using these moves. And in the movie, there's a casino risk expert who says that you're using the moves used by card cheats. Would anything that you're doing right now, would pretty much all of it be illegal if it were done in a Vegas casino? Oh, big time. In a game? Oh, yes, big time. It'd be illegal or unethical Mm -hmm. in any game, you know. Uh, you know, it's like uh, cracking the safe at a bank and going mm-hmm. in and taking some money. In most cases, that's illegal. Yeah. And so it'd be the same thing. And of course, the, the casinos, you know, they're going to throw you in jail. And a few years ago, they'd take you out in the desert and break your hands yeah. up. Um, and in, in, in Texas, where I live, uh, there's a whole lot of people that are in the ground or disappeared mm-hmm. because they were caught in a game. Yeah. Uh, do it, taking care of business, as they say. If you wanted to walk into a casino in Vegas or Atlantic City and sit down to a blackjack table or poker table, would they even let you? Oh yeah, because yeah. I'm I'm uh, I'm not trying to do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I was just there a few weeks ago performing with Penn and Teller, and my son and I, we sat down at a blackjack table because I've taught him how to how to count. And then all of a sudden, I'm winning, and he's winning, and and then I say, let the bet ride, and it kept up in the bet, and then. And finally, he's going, he wins again. And then the dealer starts turning to the pit boss going, he's counting, he's counting. And then he turns, he wins again. He, right, let's, right, he wins again. He turns, he's card counting, he's card, he's talking under his breath. And, and then the, the pit boss comes down and starts staring at us. And, and then they kicked him out. And, you know, and I was going to give him a nice tip, you know, because he was so nice. And, and anyway, and then, so they changed dealers on me. 
And I told Asa, I said, okay, after this hand, uh, we're, we're getting up and leaving. We dealt that, played that hand, and got up and left. <laughs> now, have you ever done any consulting with casinos? They've used my DVDs oh, yeah. uh, to teach their people what to watch for, but mm-hmm. that's not my area that yeah. I care about. I have a friend named Steve Forty. In fact, he's in the film. He's, a, I call him a genius's genius. He is so unbelievably talented, and there's probably nobody better on the planet mm-hmm. uh, for that type of uh, uh, casino protection. He and probably another guy named George Joseph are probably the two top in that industry, in the casino industry. So uh, I'll leave it to Steve because he knows that business. Now, do you do any other kinds of sleight of hand, like coins or balls, or is it just strictly cards? You're a card guy. I'm a car- Yeah, I'm a card guy. That's what I'm known for. Even though I have done things with coins, mm-hmm. you know how back in the 70s, you know, when I'd play cards, they wouldn't let me touch the deck half the time. So I and I played with a bunch of doctors. They were all actually they're all dentists, and um, they would make me. I'd, I'd have to pass the deal, and so I, my hands couldn't stand it. So what I would do is I'd roll my poker chips, mm-hmm. and I got to where uh, I uh, the the magician will roll a coin around their knuckles, flip 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 flip, and then it goes in between the little pinky and the ring finger, and it comes back. The thumb brings it back around, and then it flips the finger. Then I got do I got two on one hand, three on one hand, four, fives, and the world's record at that world record at that time was four on one hand. I got where I could do eight on one hand. Wow! So and that was just something I did for the <laughs> freaky, just because I was freaky. And you said that you practice as many as 20 hours a day. On average, you said average what, 14. About 14. 14. Yeah. You literally have a deck in your hands every waking hour, don't you? Not when I'm now. Well, yes. Then even when I was eating, I would not when I was showering because I would yeah. I would get in and out quick. Even though I had cards in the shower that were water, uh, they were Kim cards. They were waterproof, <laughs> and I had other cards for when I was in the ocean that I, <laughs> I'm actually surfing <laughs> in Costa me. Rica, and I didn't even. My my brother is a champion surfer, and and we get out, and he goes, "Are those cards in your back pocket?" And I, <laughs> oh, I pull them out. Oh yeah, <laughs> and I, my my waterproof cards that I, but. I, Obviously, I didn't use them while I was surfing. What other kind of activities have you been caught doing while shuffling, (laughs) doing card tricks? Uh, Well, um, making love with my wife. (laughs) Making love with your wife? (laughs) How did you You, do that? Don't uh, you have to have all your free hands? (laughs) Well, yeah, but I, you know, I always, uh, you know, had to. To see what I can. just hiding it. Uh, you should. You you. I stepped in it there, and of course, it's in the film. You know, <laughs> you, if you remember. Um, uh, but uh, uh, in church, um, you know, all of a sudden, you know, I I'm practicing, and and then uh, people are watching me. And, and, yeah, and so I have a deck of cards that's all white. It's blank yeah. on both sides, and I, and my wife keeps them in her Bible. So then I just take them out, and they just think I have a stack of uh, of, of of a stack of paper in my hand because I don't care. The, I'm practicing yeah. moves. I don't care if there's anything on the card. So that was that was another place. Um, Wait, you make your wife go to church with a hollowed out Bible? Yeah. <laughs> Just so you can play So I can put my hand. <laughs> Why not? Now, I have to ask, you, you, you're constantly shuffling. Does the sound of card shuffling ever bother your poor wife? No. She's got well, used to she, it? She, well, she will – I'll get a light tap on my elbow. Yeah. Shh. You know, we're in a movie or we're in a place where uh, somebody is recording or we're being interviewed or, or some uh, – or in church or whatever it happens to be. <laughs> and I'm – you know, I'm practicing like a one-hand uh, shuffle strip out, you know, and that, 
that makes <laughs> a certain noise uh-huh. and uh and then then I you know strip them out and cut them and uh all of a sudden you know that they go shh, shh, shh and so then I go back to dealing seconds or dealing bottoms because <laughs> that doesn't make make any noise yeah and uh, but yes I I and then there was one time you know uh, you know I mean, again it goes back to the church and I'm a uh, uh Someone was saying, you know, this particular service was being broadcast, and there was this guy with a deck of cards going. And so and I was like, can you put your cards away during that? And, I, and so the, the, the next week I tried it, and my, my wife said, you're shaking. And it was the first time I had cards out of my hand for over five minutes. And, uh, and, I, and I didn't realize that I was shaking, almost like <laughs> cold turkey or withdrawals or something. And uh, so then I picked up the little envelopes that you put your donations in, and I practiced with it. Oh, settle down. And then, then, then it was after that I came up with the, the all-white deck. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break, and then I'll be back with more with the amazing Richard Turner when we come back in just a moment. You know, I've heard people saying for months now that the next big thing in tech is going to be smart speakers. That's the future, they all say. And I'll admit that I was not an early adopter. I was happy just listening to tunes off of my iPhone or on some dinky little speaker I got in the mall. But man, oh man, oh man, was I wrong. I tried out the Sonos Play 5 speaker at home, and that little guy blew my mind. I forgot what it was like to have sound that really, truly fills the room. My living room is like Carnegie Hall now. Now, I'm kind of old school, so I love the great American classics like Dino, Frank Sinatra, Louis Armstrong, Ella. And let me tell you, that gang never sounded so good. Sonos intuitively synced up all my music apps. Plus, they've even introduced me to new music services I didn't even know about. Look, I'm not a techie. I'm terrible about reading instructions and figuring out what wire goes where, which is why having a smart speaker that truly lives up to that description is such a big deal to me. The Sonos speaker actually reads the room and fine-tunes its acoustics accordingly. Plus, it uses Wi-Fi, not Bluetooth, so you don't suddenly lose your music every time you leave the room. In fact, I was so impressed with my Sonos Play 5 that I got a Sonos Play 1 for my office so I can enjoy great tunes and great sound while I work. These guys at Sonos have really got it down to a science. They let you have pulse-pounding sound in any room or every room at once. Play a different song in the living room, bedroom, even the bathroom, or the same track in every room. You can add your existing music services or discover something new. Whether curated or on demand, free or subscription-based, Sonos has you covered with access to a growing list of music services. And Sonos's simple app lets you control everything from songs to volume to rooms all in one place. Sonos brings all your music together. To find out more, visit Sonos.com. That's Sonos, S-O-N-O-S dot com. And now... Back to the podcast. I know that you don't like people to lead with this, so I've kind of been avoid dancing around it for a bit here, but I guess now is as good a time as any to tell the listeners that in addition to being probably the greatest card mechanic in the world, you are completely blind. You do not see, you don't see at all at this I point, I don't see right? anything that's real. Anything that's real. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so... Um, so if that you close your eyes, you would see the same thing. Uh, exactly the same thing. And I say what, anything that's real because I have a very rare condition called Charles Bonnet syndrome. Hmm. It was first documented in 1760. 
and just to give you an idea what that is, is I see in external space my subconscious. Mm -hmm. So in other words, right now, if I close my eyes or open my eyes, mm -hmm. my eyes are now closed. Mm -hmm. I still see vivid. I'm in the, what I call the blue spectrum. Every mm -hmm. shade of blue that you can imagine. And they're all like paint really? strokes huh. going up and down. And I call it the right brain because it's more, it's more artistic and, and not random. Mm -hmm. And with every subconscious image or thing you can imagine floating all around you, that's my normal state of, okay. a, of affairs, of vision. And then I have the a red spectrum is all geometric. And how it's cool is because I can take... And I can manipulate the I can manipulate these images into creating functional visions. Mm -hmm. Like for instance, I want to design a house or, or build huh. a deck. I designed a, a three level deck on one of our homes. Really? And I and I did it all in my head. And I would watch in full scale. My wife, my wife would tell you, I'm sitting in a chair just like this, and I'll watch. Okay, I need four by twelves over there, and then the cross beam. <laughs> then I, I circle back around. Okay, and the, uh, the two by sixes need to be anchored like the horseshoes there, and I'll engineer this whole thing. All in my head, and we're talking about a thousand cuts, three layer, three levels high, stairways, hanging chairs, built-in uh, flower be flower beds, picnic mm -hmm. tables, and the whole nine yards without a single piece of paper, without a single measurement. And I would tell my dad, he was my cutter. I said, Dad, this board needs to be 192 and a quarter inches long. <laughs> and then they would watch this the whole thing come together like a giant jigsaw puzzle. <laughs> but that's what I'm able to do with it. And uh, uh, here's an easier example. When I want to memorize scripts or names or phone numbers, I can write the number down in the air, huh. and I will see it floating in the air just really? as clear as you see it if it's, like if it's written on a computer screen or a, huh. or, or a chalkboard. And I have what's called an eidetic memory. I go, take a picture of it, and I never forget it. That's remarkable. And uh, so that's that's part. And, and you'll you'll constantly, well, not constantly, but my wife, people that are around me will constantly see me taking notes. Like when I, I ask her, in the what's air. his name? Yeah, and I'm right, <laughs> I, I wrote your name down in the air, so I knew your name. And um, yeah, yeah. So I, yeah, I'm constantly taking notes. <laughs> well, I have to ask if you can't see cards, how do you know an ace from a queen? How do you know what you have in your hands? Uh, that is a good question that everybody wants to know. Yeah. And, and uh, can you feel the texture of the print? Is, is, that, oh, is I can, it that subtle? I can feel print. I can feel texture. Wow. I can feel embossing depths. I can feel really? caliper. I can feel moisture level. I can feel all kinds of things with a deck of cards. I'm actually the touch analyst for United States Playing Card Company. They make yeah. just about every all the best decks of cards in the world. They make Bicycle B, Steamboat Hoyle, mm -hmm. Tally Ho, Kim. And I've been their touch analyst for a couple of decades because my fingers are more precise than the measuring devices, yeah. and they send cards for me to touch and tell. So I can tell a lot of things. I, I'm very, very particular about cards. And, and of course, I help them make good cards. Mm -hmm. And so all the cards that I have, and, are, and, the, and the bicycle's the most recognized deck yeah. of cards. And I have one of those, the Gold Seal bikes, and it actually has a card in it that says Testin. Tested and approved by Richard Turner. Oh, really? And uh, and the, all the top card guys from around the world, they all use those cards. Really? So if yeah. I went to the drugstore and picked up a, just a boring old pack of playing cards, you could pretty much do the same things do you're doing show. right now? I, oh, yeah. Wow. I do my show. Now, there are certain things that there are certain certain things that I wouldn't be able to do right off the bat mm -hmm. because, you know— I'd like to uh, sometimes I like to spend 10 minutes, 15 minutes just breaking in the deck of cards because there's when they first come out, they're like a slippery fish sometimes. Uh -huh. And certain things that I do, um, like, well, for a simple, just a simple one hand shuffle, you know, if it's a brand new deck, you, you can easily lose control of it. 
especially mm-hmm. if I'm trying to do a one hand, a fake one hand shuffle. Then I then I want something that I've broke in for like 10, 15 minutes. And so I'll actually put a rubber band around deck telling me that this one I've shuffled for like 15 minutes so it's not quite so slippery and, <laughs> and so on. But And then there's there's other things that, you know, the general public doesn't get to know. So. Are there ever people who see your act and then they don't believe you when you tell them that you don't have sight? Is, it, oh, is uh, that a common uh, thing? Uh, oh, oh, yeah. In fact, uh, see, I don't, like when I perform at the Magic Castle, mm-hmm. I never, I don't let, I don't tell people. Really, it's not part of the show. I say it's. What's it? What is the relevance? Mm-hmm. Um, I say it has nothing to do with the show, and uh, so I don't let them. They don't mention it before, during, or after. And one wow. time, I had a very famous actress. I don't want to say her name because I don't want to embarrass her, but she was sitting to my right, and she goes, "I said, uh, uh, shuffle the cards. Make sure they're all face down." Because after I do something like when I'm playing seven card stud, you might be a single box card in there, even though I can sit there and take and cut to it and turn it over. But that takes time out of my show. So I just spread the cards out and tell them to do my cleanup work, just in case there's, a, like I said, a few cards the wrong direction. And then all of a sudden she goes, can you see? And I go, shh, don't give away secrets. And she goes, no, I'm serious. Can you see? And I said, no, don't give any secrets, you know, and I'm going on with my show. And, and she says, you can't see, can you? And I go, oh, don't give any, yeah, just watch the show, watch the show. And that whole show, all she spent the whole time arguing with herself going, you can't see. Oh, you can't see. You can't see. You can't see. And, and all the way through. And she kept, and she would hardly paid attention to anything I was doing. She was just watching. She was following your eyes argue, instead yes, of the cards. Yeah, arguing with herself. And then finally at the end she did, resolved to herself, you can see. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> and then when she stood up and her date told her that I couldn't see, she fell over. <laughs> now, when, <laughs> and if I mentioned her name, you would know who I was talking about. Now, when someone comes up to you and doesn't believe that you can't see, is that the I biggest did. compliment of all to you? Oh, yeah. I, don't, I, I just That's what I, I don't want. Uh, and then, then be back up. For most of my life, if you mentioned it, I got mm-hmm. I got ticked off at you. Yeah, you know, and uh, I would uh, say, "What is that? What you know?" I, oh, well, sometimes I had some bad comebacks. I said, "Yeah, and he has he has a wooden leg, or he has a wooden something else, or he, you know, oh, you know." I said, "What?" And they go, "Oh, really? Does he have a wooden leg?" And, he, <laughs> and so I. In fact, you say that you're not even comfortable with the word blind and certainly no. not handicapped. You hate that. Oh, yeah, I hated that when I because I've shipped off to a special school for the visually impaired. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, they say visually impaired, which is politically more decent than mm-hmm. handicapped because I was yeah. in the what, VH room, which stood for visually handicapped. And I just hated that word and I hated the word blind. And I, even today, it took me years before I even say that word. <laughs> and uh, But now I'm old. And decrepit. Well, I'm not quite decrepit, but I am old, and I don't care anymore. Uh, and like my wife Kim, my beautiful wife of many years, she would say, "Get over yourself," you know, because there was a period of time, you know, when I went from a sighted, uh, you know, a uh, a sighted disabled person, mm-hmm. or not. Let me put it another way. Uh, you know, I was I was independent, but I had a disability. Mm-hmm to where I became dependent before I could walk alongside somebody and not need to, to touch them okay. or them touch me. Would that be what they would call legally blind then? Yes, okay. exactly, legally okay. blind. Uh-huh. And then I went to, when I went totally blind, all of a sudden now I have to have somebody that I either touch or they touch me. Mm-hmm. 
And, and again, because of my ego, if you want to call it that, um, I don't even, I never take an elbow. I may, I have them drive me like a, like a video game. I say, they say, you want to take my, no, I don't touch elbows. I said, put your right hand on my left shoulder and pretend we're playing a video game. You just steer me like a video game. I can feel your movement with your eyes through your hands, wherever you to face those fingers, you push forward for go back for stop left, for right. And, uh, and I'll, you can walk me through a minefield and, and nobody would know it. And the only place I want heads up is stairs. See, I don't mind mm. falling upstairs, but I hate falling down them. Yeah. It hurts more and I, and I keep on going. <laughs> and then, uh, but my wife, Kim, we have hand signals. Okay. We, uh, she doesn't even have to do anything. I can feel her thoughts through really? her hand. We hold hands or even we will cross arms like a couple does. And, uh, and like I said, we can walk through a crowd of people and nobody would have any clue. It would just wind up. They just think I see everything perfectly. Yeah, you certainly don't let it slow you down one bit. It's amazing uh, in addition I just, to this what you I have the scars to show it on my head. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are some of the other activities that you've done despite not being sighted? Well, like swing on the trapeze. I swing on the trapeze. <laughs> trapeze. In fact, I took a few celebrities for their first swing on the trapeze. Really? Um, I worked with a guy named Bob Yurkes, Y-E-R-K-E-S. He's mm-hmm. done more stunts than anybody, a wonderful friend. He, he was at our screen at the Magic Castle last night. He's 85 years old now, and we've been friends for almost 50 years. And um, I was with him when he trained the Circus of the Stars and Wonder Woman and you know shows like that. So I took high falls, tightrope. I used to tightrope around multi-story buildings. Um, just wow. f- just for the sake of uh, you know the, the challenge, and yeah. I, I'm hiking in the sequoias, and there's a tree crossing a, a canyon that's you know 200 foot down. I walked across that, that that I had to cross that tree, or or, and then when they're filming this movie, they went through all my archival footage, and they had pictures of me climbing up a waterfall naked. <laughs> when did that ever happen? <laughs> what, 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 I, you know, I, I can't deny what I did because there's the evidence. <laughs> yeah. um, but my, probably my, one of my biggest accomplishments is when I earned my first degree black belt. I'm a yeah. sixth degree black belt. But uh, uh, we had one of the toughest karate schools anywhere in the country. And to earn a black belt under this m- crazy man, Murphy, who's like my second father, you had to fight a 10, three-minute round bout with a fresh fighter each round. And uh, I had all black belts, only one, wow. one of them that wasn't Jeez. a black belt. And the rules were you had to come out alive with spirit. <laughs> and he defined that as meaning. Even if your teeth had been punched down yeah. your throat, you're still smiling. You still had a good attitude even though you were hurt. And the first round, I just I took a – I was fighting a guy named John Douglas who was – a, a tremendous fighter, and I probably the only thing I really took that was really it was a, he caught me wide open right in my solar plexus, and he's outweighed me by quite a bit. He was heavyweight, that hurt. Uh, the second round, I had my nose smashed, and you hear this big old pop, and that was my nose going down, and then you hear whack, 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 and that was my <laughs> groin. And uh, third round, and that and that, that uh, that's just a f- few of the highlights of third round. I was a uh, Kim, oh, I, I nailed him good because I, uh, twice I lifted him off the ground with a k- uh, kick right between his legs, and uh, and so I I kind of hurt him, 
because the groin was an open shot. This is insane, though. And, but... and then the fourth round, I fought a guy named Diego, who's a, who we were both same height and weight, and, and it looks like we're trying to kill each other, which in the ring we are, but we're really, we're brothers, you know, but we're, we were so equally matched because we're both height, same height and weight. Fifth round, but the worst was the seventh round. I fought the heavyweight champ of Mexico, and he was, uh, I'm going to use the, he was a B. He was a real bad guy. In fact, he ended up murdered um, in Tijuana for robbing uh, uh, federal. He was a federal and he'd rob, rob Americans. He ended up dead. In fact, five <laughs> out of the people in my test ended up, mur- ended up dead. I caught a ridge hand on the right ear and he ruptured my right eardrum. And I caught, I was, you know, because he was, he weighed 50 pounds more than me. And so I was doing everything I could just to survive because my heart's now going 195 beats a minute. I've already been through six (laughs) full rounds and I caught a roundhouse kick right here. And he snapped this bone right here. So I fought three and a half rounds with a broken right arm. So it hurt. My God. Okay. I have to ask, are you insane? Your whole livelihood, you you make your living with your hands and you're punching bricks and boards in people's faces. I know. I get get flack from that. For a half a century, people have been saying, are you crazy? That's your (laughs) livelihood, your hands. And what the heck are you doing fighting? And... uh, I, I just had two loves. One was started with Maverick as a, a little seven-year-old watching Maverick. The other was watching Bruce Lee and uh, the Green Hornet. Yeah. He played Cato back in 66. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I saw him kick somebody in the head. I want to be able to do that because I had these punks that used to push me around when I was a kid. And I thought, I'm going to learn karate kicking your faces one of these days. And uh, so uh, those were my two, two yeah. things. And the other one was watching Charlton Heston in Ben Hur, and I, I want a body like Charlton. I want to kick like Bruce Lee or Chuck <laughs> Lorris, and I want to be able to. I want to be a gambler like uh, Maverick. So those are just my three interests, and then I just pursued them to uh, to where I managed to do them. Well, you say in the film that you don't think that you would have gone as far if you had had sight. I mean, it makes sense to me because if an audience is relying entirely on their visual perception of what's going on when you're doing a card trick, and you're not relying on that same sense. Do you think that that gives you a particular advantage over the audience? In a lot of ways it does. And another way it gives me a a fun advantage is people don't realize I can hear multiple conversations at the same time while I'm talking and performing. So I'm sitting there talking to this person over here, carrying on a conversation while these two people are over here whispering something. And I will stop right in the middle of my show and answer (laughs) their question or do something or set them up for something later. Because I, you know, I I hear, I will hear and be able to retain multiple conversations (laughs) while I'm talking and performing. So in that sense, that's, that's kind of a cool thing. And I use it to my, to my advantage, which can, make it for a better show if you you know set them up and all of a sudden bingo stung him just mm-hmm. because they didn't know they i could hear what they were saying yeah and uh, just in case anyone doubts uh, how much of an obsession this is what's your, your son's, son's name, name? <laughs> my son's name uh, well i'll tell you how it came my, my, my wife's going through the names in the bible and right below king david there was his grandson great-grandson King Asa, A S A, and she said, "Hmm, it means physician or healer." And she goes, "Asa," and she said, "His middle name could be Spades." And I jumped from my chair. I said, "That's it, Asa Spades. That's the perfect name for the son of a card shark." And she goes, "No, no, we're not naming our son Asa Spades. I'm making a joke. It's a joke." I said, "No, that's it." She stepped in it. Once she stepped in it, she couldn't get out. And, and of course, he loves Turner. his name too. He's he's almost he's almost as famous. Yeah. Because of his name, as I am, just because of my cards, he's famous because of his name. 
Well, before we go, uh, you talk about how for much of your life you didn't want people to know you were blind. You didn't want to even mention the word. Now it seems that you're a little more comfortable talking about it and even encouraging young people who are dealing with what you dealt with. Um, real quick before we go, what would you say to anyone who thinks that there's something they can't overcome? Well, I say in the game of life, you know, first stay focused on your game and don't let anyone tell you that something's impossible. I say take possible out of impossible. Take possible out of impossible. And I understand that time to time where some of us are dealt a bad hand or two, but it's, you know, it's how we approach that hand. Mm-hmm. If we choose to fold, wind, sit on our pity pot, or go all in, you know, that's what you know, separates losers from the winner. So I encourage them, <laughs> take, take, take your whatever it happens to be, because we every one of us have some sort of disability of some sort or another. We all, in other words, we all have something that we have to deal with. And I say, take, well, my, my philosophy is just one day at a time, enjoy the moment. Forget about yesterday because it's gone. Don't worry about tomorrow because it's not here yet. Enjoy the journey. For me, uh, everything is an adventure and the challenges are an adventure. Think about it. We buy puzzles. We buy this picture, and it's all broken up into these little pieces. And we buy that for the purpose of putting it together. <laughs> so when you have a challenge, when you have an obstacle, yeah. when you have yeah. something that uh, you have to deal with, if it's a, 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 one of our wonderful service guys that it comes, comes back from serving our country and they lost a leg, think about these guys. Now they're running marathons and climbing mountains. That's the kind of attitude you want to have. Look at it as another challenge. Go for it. Don't let anyone tell you what you want to do can't be done. I say go for it. Do it. Well, Richard Turner, you are an inspiration, and you are frustratingly good at what you do, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> uh, you said I'm a perspiration? <laughs> yeah. Delt opens this Friday, October 20th in New York, the 27th in L.A., and then 20 more cities after that. Again, it is also available on demand and on iTunes starting October 20th. Richard, thanks so much for talking with me. Uh, thanks, Ben. It's been fun. <laughs> Thanks again to Richard Turner for joining me on the podcast. DELT opens in theaters in New York as well as on demand and on iTunes Friday, October 20th. Then in Los Angeles starting October 27th, followed by additional theatrical engagements in select cities. For showtimes and information, visit DELTMovie.com. And you can keep up with Richard Turner at RichardTurner52.com. And yes, that's 52, as in 52 cards in a deck. Today's episode was sponsored by Nadex. Imagine if you could choose your maximum risk and reward up front. That way you could try day trading the markets without worrying about the risk. Well, luckily you can with binary options on Nadex. Trade global stock indexes, commodities, forex, even economic numbers, all from one account and always with limited risk. See why over 100,000 members choose Nadex. Find out more at nadex.com. Trading on Nadex involves risk and may not be appropriate for all investors. Also, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to Kick-Ass News on Apple Podcasts and rate and review us while you're there. And please take a moment to take our listener survey at podsurvey.com kick so we can get to know who's listening and it's also helpful with our advertisers. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at at KickAssNewsPod. And as always, I welcome your comments, questions, and suggestions at comments at kickassnews.com. 
For now, though, I'm Ben Mathis, and thanks for listening to Kick-Ass News. Kick-Ass News is a trademark of Mathis Entertainment, Inc.